Good morning and happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Today is Tuesday, December 24th. Uh, it is Christmas Eve, and I'm happy to bring to you uh, my latest Zoom with Zarni. I have a wonderful interview with uh, Assemblymember Charles Levine. He is the uh, New York State Assembly uh, Election Law Chair. I've worked with him for the last couple of years. Uh, been my honor to testify before him, and he's an incredible advocate for voters and boards of elections throughout New York State. And I think uh, the interview will be very uh, uh, enlightening. Uh, to see how downstate um, lawmakers look at elections and also still look at upstate uh, and help out uh, where they can with upstate uh, issues as well. So that's one of the reasons why I uh, do these interviews with uh, out of uh, area lawmakers uh, that have to do with elections because uh, I think it's uh, illuminating to see that uh, there are people that are not just looking out for their home constituencies, but looking out for the entire state. Um, uh, so a few words about what's going on here in Onondaga County. Uh, as you know, I've been working on um, for the last couple of years with uh, Fair Maps CNY, uh, working on pushing uh, independent redistricting uh, legislation uh, that was introduced. Uh, the enabling legislation was finally introduced uh, by the Syracuse Common Council on uh, this last week. Uh, they did not vote on it. Uh, they have um, uh, held it until January 11th, at which time they will vote on it. There, uh, I, I believe at least seven uh, or eight of the Common Council members have already publicly uh, expressed support for the legislation. Uh, there's been a couple of uh, members uh, that have uh, not said that they're supporting it yet. And the Syracuse City Auditor wanted some more time to take a look at the legislation. Um, so uh, that is why that is being held till January 11th. I have every uh, uh, expectation that that will be passed on January 11th, that we will in Syracuse have the first uh, independent citizen-led redistricting commission east of the Mississippi. Uh, so it is going to be uh, um, groundbreaking once it's passed. As you may remember, the Onondaga County Legislature uh, decided not to let the voters choose about whether to have this or not. Uh, they wouldn't even uh, pass a charter change to put that before the voters uh, this last year, even after uh, 15 of the 17 of them signed a pledge saying they would do so. So it's important that the Syracuse Common Council is keeping their promise to the voters that they made. While, um, and uh, it's important to watch what the Onondaga County Legislature does on redistricting. I'm on that redistricting commission, so uh, I'll have some insight for you as that goes along. Uh, we, we have not been told anything yet, but it's a little early uh, about when we're meeting, whether the meetings are going to be public, all of that. These are things that I'll be pushing for on that redistricting commission. And uh, finally, uh, we're coming towards the end of the year. Um, uh, yesterday, I released a Wonky Wednesday. You can kind of take a look at that on my Tumblr blog. Uh, or on you know, any of my social news feeds have a link to it, or you look for Dustin Zarni on Tumblr. Uh, it, we did, I did a deep dive into absentee ballots uh, and, and how they performed in Onondaga County along with affidavit ballots. I think it gives you a, a, a nice uh, overview of why there were so many absentee ballots, how it compared to previous years, and, um, and who uh, who took advantage of the absentee ballots, which is why there was this, uh, you know, 
remarkable uh, change after election day uh, towards Democratic candidates. I'm actually going to do a little bit more about that in a future Wonky Wednesday. Uh, next week, I pro I'm, I'm looking at doing a Wonky Wednesday on early voting, and then I will do a, uh, at the beginning of the year, do a Wonky Wednesday on the uh, blue wave versus red mirage versus blue shift phenomenon that we saw this year. And then I'll start moving on to the 2021 registration uh, when we have all of these new changes, when it, when it goes to uh, parties that are no longer a party, as well as um, uh, you know, wrap up of the uh, of the uh, uh, legislature, you know, of the registration states, and then looking at all of the um, 19 towns, city of Syracuse, and the 17 county council uh, or uh, county legislature districts, how they look at uh, going into uh, this fall election. So I'll be pretty busy all next year uh, with with those with taking a look at those races. So. Um, so, uh, great. Uh, well, thank you so much uh, for following along with Zoom and Zarni this first year of it. Um, you know, we started this back in uh, June, so we've only done it about a half year, but uh, uh, it's been uh, a lot of fun. And uh, next Sunday, I will have another Zoom and Zarni this Sunday coming up with Liza Abraham, who's the uh, the executive director of the New York Democratic Lawyers Committee, and she's been helping out with election laws, uh, as well as defending uh, many different, uh, you know, uh, lawsuits this last year, as well as uh, helping out with Georgia. Uh, and, and so we'll get a kind of an update from her about what uh, NYDLC is up to right now and what will be happening later uh, this year. So. Um, but uh, please enjoy this interview with uh, Assembly Member Charles Levine, who's a, a wonderful advocate for voters. And he's from Nassau County. And just, I really had a pleasure talking to him. And I hope you enjoy. Bye bye. I'm pleased to have as my interview this uh, Sunday. Uh, I'm sorry, you want to start that again? Welcome back to Zoom with Zarni. I'm pleased to have uh, with my interview today, uh, Assembly Member Chuck Levine. He represents the 13th Assembly District on the Northern Shore of Nassau County. Uh, and I've gotten to know him because he is also the chair of the Elections Committee for the New York State Assembly uh, and a fine representative and a great uh, advocate for voters. Uh, Assembly Member Levine, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Dustin, and um, you can you can refer to me as Chuck, uh, which is which is fine. And Dustin, thanks for the kind words. And as they say in Brooklyn, coming right back at you, uh, because one of the great um, joys of uh, my having become chair of the uh, Elections Law Committee is I've gotten to to meet you um, uh, and know you. I had met you before, but I uh, in turn am a great admirer of what you do and a great admirer of your dedication to democracy. So well, thank you. That's way too kind, <laughs> but thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a rough election year, so we'll take the uh, compliments where we can get them. Uh, uh, Chuck, can you tell the audience, you know, we're here up in Syracuse, New York, you're downstate. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to, to ask some uh, members uh, in the Assembly and Senate that are from downstate to come on, because I think a lot of times people upstate think that uh, 
downstate lawmakers don't represent them. They don't represent their interests uh, or they don't uh, help them out. And can you give um, uh, our listeners or viewers uh, you know, a little background on how you got into politics and, and how you uh, won in the assembly? Certainly. Um, and thanks for that question. Um, and in, des in describing the answer, um, you, you will understand how it is that I uh, may have a little more appreciation than do many uh, for what life is like in Syracuse and in, um, even in some of the remote, because Syracuse is not remote, um, parts of the state of New York. Uh, I grew up in the upper Midwest, in northern Wisconsin and the upper peninsula of Michigan. And in terms of how I learned about politics, um, my mom was from Chicago. She was a fairly sophisticated uh, person. Uh, my father was not a sophisticated person. He was from the upper Midwest. And um, much of my growing up was done in a small town in Wisconsin, not too very far from Appleton, Wisconsin. Now we're talking about the early 50s. Uh, and Wisconsin's senator at that time was Joe McCarthy. So even as a little kid, I remember my parents arguing about politics. Um, and Joe McCarthy's name would often come up. But they, they were great at discussing the great issues of the day, I, or I should say arguing about the great issues of the day. Um, it was the time, I remember the Korean War, I remember uh, neighbors, um, children who were, uh, or kids who were older than me coming back from Korea. And I remember uh, the trial of the Rosenbergs. So it was a controversial time. And then I uh, attended the University of Wisconsin uh, from 1965 to 1969 which was a, um, uh, a time of tremendous conflict, um, uh, conflict on our great, on our great campuses, uh, but that conflict did not compare to the uh, conflict that my contemporaries uh, experienced uh, in Vietnam. So um, it was a political time and, um, and I was, uh, I guess uh, from the time I was little uh, a part of that and that never ended. And when did, you, when did you end up uh, coming to New York? When, what brought you to New York? What brought me to New York was um, I met a very nice girl in <laughs> Spanish class at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, and um, we were boyfriend and girlfriend. And when we graduated in 1969, she told me she was going back to New York. Uh, she was from Great Neck and she really didn't much care what happened to me. Uh, but she was going back to New York. So I followed her uh, back to New York, uh, went to law school here at New York Law School from 1969, graduated in 1972. Um, and uh, by the way, um, that um, a young woman uh, has now been putting up with me for over, over 50 years. And we're very fortunate. We have uh, two adult children and uh, four uh, beautiful grandchildren. So um, that's how I end up in New York. Following a beautiful woman to New York is a lot of people's story. I, I grew up here, so I found my beautiful woman here. But uh, I was, I was able. I got lucky. I didn't have to move away. <laughs> but I did actually. I moved <laughs> to Florida for five years, and I didn't. It didn't work out. I didn't like it, so I moved back to Syracuse. So, what, what were you doing in Florida? 
Um, my mother lived down there. She was a Syracuse native. And uh, when her and my dad divorced, she decided she wanted to be somewhere warm. And uh, I, I, uh, I, I, I didn't, I, I went down there after high school to kind of see what was, uh, was so great about it. And I ended up not liking it very much. So I moved back up here and uh, brought my daughter back up here. And then I met my my wife, my <laughs> up here, and uh, raised a family. So that, uh, that's what brought me back to Syracuse. We are, my friend, lucky men. Yes, we are. We, uh, I, <laughs> so, um, and now you serve in the assembly. How long have you been in the assembly? Uh, this will be my fifteenth year. Wow! And you're you've been the election law chair uh, for the last couple of years during a. Uh, very tumultuous time uh, in New York elections. I, I think a good time and some renaissance for New York elections, but there's been a lot of changes over the last two years. And if not for the fact that the Democratic Party is now the majority party in the Senate, uh, none of those changes would have occurred. Not one of them would have occurred. Um, year after year after year, the assembly would pass many, many different um, progressive and progressive isn't even the right word. These are pragmatic bills. Uh, for example, early voting. What a difference early voting has made. Um, what a difference voting by mail has made. And these are matters that would never, ever have been passed by a Republican Senate. Um, and I don't want to make this overtly political, but there is part of um, what has become the Republican um, philosophy. It's at the, it's one of the, it beats at the heart of the Republican philosophy, uh, and it should not, and I don't know why it does, but it is the concept that the fewer people who vote, the better it is for that political party. We see throughout the United States that that is simply not true. Republicans are elected, Democrats are elected. The more people involved in this process, the better off we are. So I'm very proud of the work that I've been able to do, and you and I have worked together on so many of these things, and very proud of the work that the uh, New York State Senate has done. We have improved the process, and when we improve the process, we improve the product, and we have improved the product. And that, I do think that is important to, to continue to point out that the New York Assembly for years upon years upon years, uh, when I came into uh, um, as commissioner in 2013, I remember that was the year we were going to pass early voting. And uh, the speaker then had a bill and it, it was, uh, uh, everybody was on board, but the Senate said, no, we're not going to do it. It was a Republican Senate. Um, and despite, uh, you know, uh, evidence that early voting was in deep red states like Texas and, you know, uh, Florida, you know, Georgia, all of these other places where early voting uh, existed. And some of these other election reforms we wanted to do existed, they just became the party of no. And I do think it for, you know, while the National Party has started to follow suit, the New York Senate and the New York GOP were like one of the first that were like, absolutely not. We're not going to do these election reforms. And like they acted like the guardians at the gate. But now, uh, now we have a lot of these reforms and thank God we had them during COVID because they were vital. 
sad, sad irony uh, when we consider that the New York Republican Party uh, was at one time more progressive than at times even the New York Democratic Party. And now we're not going back that long ago. When I came to New York uh, in 1969, uh, it was the era of John Lindsay and uh, the era of uh, Nelson Rockefeller, and uh, they were they were progressives, and they used to battle it out with each other because they they were they were progressives. And uh, people tend to forget um, that uh, Nelson Rockefeller was one of the great agitators for civil rights uh, in the United States. So I worry, I worry what is going to happen. Um, to the Republican Party, because the Republican Party is a necessary balance to the Democratic Party. That we, that's been our tradition. And now I fear um, that a faction has taken over the Republican Party, and it is no longer a party of what it used to portray itself as being of pragmatism. So um, this is all going to play itself out, and uh, I'm just very... Uh, privileged and honored to be able to play a small role uh, in, in those developments. So in 2019, when um, we finally had a united uh, Democratic government in New York with the Senate and uh, uh, Assembly as well as the governor, and uh, Democracy Day was born in the New York legislature where the first day of session, um, you passed early voting you passed uh, portable uh, registration, uh, which I think is an under, uh, under, uh, um, you know, discussed. under discussed, yeah, under discussed. And, and it really, it changed a big amount of, uh, made thousands of people more el eligible to vote. And people don't realize that. And uh, because they look at early voting and some of these other things, but also the constitutional amendments for same day registration and, um, no excuse absentees, uh, and you know. And then uh, last year we uh, we 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 passed a, a, a few more reforms before COVID came in and shut everything down. But then, you know, the, between the governor's executive orders and legislative action during the summer in a special session, we really expanded vote by mail, which is not something that we've normally done in New York. We're an in-person voting state. Um, how how has it been like overseeing all this change right i mean it's a lot of change for the voters but it's it's also a lot of change for lawmakers and people who are running for office as well it's um it's it's been very exciting um and fascinating so um but i'll share this with you um it is much easier uh to be in the, in the uh, legislature and uh, debate and develop uh, these proposals than it is to be uh, on the front lines of reality, that is in the boards of election throughout our county, uh, uh, throughout our counties in the state of New York, and to have to figure out how to implement uh, all these changes that we have uh, uh, enabled the state to, uh, to adopt uh, at the same time as unfortunately, we have not had enough money to be able to help to underwrite uh, the expenses involved. Um, the, the average voter, um, the average human being uh, likes to go and vote, but they don't spend too much time, 
if any, thinking about, well, how much does it cost? How much does it cost to lease this space? How much does it cost to have scanners that are necessary to process the ballots? How much does it cost to make sure that people who work at the polls are actually compensated? Uh, and that's fine. Um, but democracy is not a cheap experience. It is an expensive experience, uh, but it is uh, money well spent, uh, especially when you compare uh, what life is like in authoritarian states where we don't have democracy. But at the same time, uh, democracy is and always has been uh, messy uh, and unpredictable. So um, it has been fascinating to be able to be at the table when these um, policy issues are adopted. Uh, and it's much easier to be at that policy table than it is to be at the voters table <laughs> in those long election days. And uh, that's something I appreciate. A long time ago, I was a Democratic chairman of uh, the city of Glen Cove. And one of my greatest challenges always was uh, finding people to work polls. And then we just did this on election day itself. Um, and I used to live in fear and it happened. Uh, at 4.30 in the morning, I would get a call that so-and-so couldn't make it or 5.15, so-and-so had to go to the hospital and couldn't uh, work that day. So the amount of logistics, energy and dedication that goes into being able to make sure that the average voter is able to go and cast her or his ballot is something that's remarkable. And I have great admiration for everyone who does that. Well, thank you uh, for that. Because I, I do think boards of elections are an easy punching bag. Uh, and, I, I, and people always highlight the things that go wrong. And, and rightfully so. We should learn from our mistakes. But across the nation and across New York, uh, the elections were administered better than they've ever really been this time uh, around. I mean, there, while there are highlights of some of the, you know, uh, faults that New York City had a couple of issues and then New York 22 had a few issues. These are, you know, the, the problem with New York 22 isn't necessarily the boards of elections, in my opinion, it's the Byzantine laws that they are trying to adapt to modern time. I mean, they made some mistakes, don't get me wrong, but um, we have these, you know, ancient laws for objections, and in a 12-vote race, everything is going to be uh, hyper essential. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, it's, it's a, it's very hyper focused on on them, and I, I feel for them. But I just think that boards of elections uh, in New York, with a bipartisan team, there's a lot of good things that happen that people don't see every day. <laughs> so I, I'm always an advocate for that. And all this, this remarkable work uh, was done in the midst of the greatest crisis of, of the last 75 years. Uh, not since World War II have we faced a crisis, um, the likes of the uh, COVID uh, pandemic. All this work was done in the midst of a pandemic, a deadly pandemic. So yes, yes, we always want to learn from our mistakes. We'll be reviewing, I'm sure, uh, how the uh, state functioned. Uh, but all this was done, and and it was done, even though we weren't, we didn't have the amount of money to help underwrite the experience that we would have liked to have seen. 
the federal government, uh, the recommendation, because uh, it was a national election, a presidential election, uh, the recommendation was that the federal government uh, should spend over $4 billion, that's with a B, dollars to help underwrite these expenses. A total of 400 million was appropriated. Of that 400 million, New York State got 20 million. And in order to get that 20 million, we had to, I'm sure there's a better way to put this. I'm sure there's a more politic way to put this, but the state of New York had to front $4 million in order to get the 20. And that was $4 million we didn't have. So let us hope that in the days to come, and, and I have some spirit of optimism that this will happen, uh, that we will be able to get additional federal funding to help protect our democratic process. One of the great things about this last election is that more Americans voted than ever before. And President Trump received the most votes of anyone in history, except for his <laughs> opponent, Joe Biden, who beat him by 7, mil 7 million votes. So I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think there's a renewed um, um, intensity uh, in examining our democratic process. And that means that we have to figure out how to make some improvements in the way we cast our ballots. Um, and um, so when you ask, has it been uh, an enjoyable experience for me to have served as chair of the uh, elections committee, let me put it to you this way. It's been a whole lot more enjoyable than the five years I spent as chair of the uh, ethics committee. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which, uh... which deals with only, only in every state's ethics committee, if they have them, uh, is different, but the ethics committee in the state of New York has power, has authority, jurisdiction only over uh, charges of sexual harassment, retaliation, and discrimination. And um, I don't know if I should, and I'm not proud to say this, uh, but I'm being a little humorous here. Um, the ethics committee during the five years I served as its chair uh, was more, more active than any other committee in, the, in New York state government. And hopefully that made a difference as well for the better. Well, so, I, I, I do think there was a lot of work done on that committee during that time period and, and, and good work and rightful work, but I could see how that would be um, very trying on, on a soul. Uh, it was, it so was fascinating and uh, an experience from which I learned greatly. So you kind of led me into the, the, the next, you know, the last part of this interview really is what, what lessons do we need to learn? What what changes do are you looking at doing in the upcoming uh, session uh, to uh, continue to fix our uh, our New York democracy? Well, the uh, bill on automatic voter registration uh, has been sent to the governor. Um, I don't know what the governor's attitude will be, and I would never presuppose. Um, I am hopeful that the governor will sign that bill, but I have um, little doubt, but that we will continue to work on automatic voter registration. Um, there are many different models uh, for this, and many states have different, uh, different approaches, but that, was a, that is a major step in the right direction. Um, voting by mail will be on the November 
2021 uh, ballot uh, for constitutional approval by the voters. We must do that. This is a national movement now uh, to vote by mail. And no matter what demagogues say that it's a faulty system, uh, they can say it all they want, but it, it ain't, it just ain't, it works. And um, it is also a very expensive, it's a much more expensive system to have to administer than the old system we had of you vote on one particular day uh, for uh, in, in general elections or any kind of an election. Um, so we need to have more money to pay for that. And other issues as well that we will be working on um, the same day registration um, provision will also be on the ballot for voter approval in November of 2021. And that is a major factor. Um, I want to see more, I want to see us do more um, to educate the public on, um, on, on voting. I want to see us do more to make sure that people who have had convictions um, are able to are able to vote. Uh, this is a um, cultural um, uh, dilemma that we have, uh, that there are many people who um, have had criminal convictions who are eligible to vote, but because this has been, this has been a, an albatross around our necks from the Jim Crow days. Um, we need to do more to make sure that every citizen uh, not only has the right to vote, but every citizen knows that she or he have that precious right. So we have our work cut out for us. There's a voting, a voting rights um, uh, act, uh, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, uh, that will be getting a lot of discussion. Um, uh, um, those uh, who follow these, um, these important issues know that in 2013, the Supreme Court of the United States gutted uh, the ability of the federal government to protect voters who had been disenfranchised. Uh, so we will look to uh, make some progress there uh, in the state of New York. And um, uh, hopefully uh, we will look uh, to see, we will see that uh, the federal government, uh, both houses, the United States Senate and the House of Representatives will take steps to make sure that Americans darn well know that they have the right to vote and that their votes should count. That sounds like a very busy session and I'm excited uh, to help in any way, <laughs> to be quite honest, because these are all goals that uh, uh, you know I've had since before I was commissioner. That's why I became commissioner is because I wanted to be able to help bring about a lot of these changes I saw in other states. And I'm so glad that New York is moving in the right direction. It's it's been a lot of change and to the voters, they, they think it can be done overnight, but it's gonna take a little time to get this stuff in. Other states didn't, we've actually changed some amazing things, you know, just in the short amount of time that COVID happened, all of the changes that happened then, it, it, it's been phenomenal to see it pretty much work out. You and I and our friends and colleagues and Americans of good faith will continue to work toward that goal. Yeah. Well, uh, Chuck, thank you so much for coming on and, uh, uh, and being a part of this. I look forward to uh, uh, talking to you throughout this session and uh, you're a wonderful member of the assembly. 
and a great advocate for voters. And I want to thank you for all the work that you've done and will do. Thank, thanks for those kind words. Those are traits we share, my friend. We will continue to work together. And as my old friend, John Lewis, used to like to say, keep the faith. We will. Well, uh, that that's all for today's Zoom with Zarni. Uh, please have a happy holiday season. Uh, this is Christmas Eve, and uh, I hope that uh, um, you know we'll be giving you further gifts of democracy in the coming session. But also, uh, I want you to stay safe, wear a mask, limit your gatherings. The vaccine's coming, so let's all work together to limit the spread of this horrible virus. I get no doubt.